Today I want to talk about one of the the weaknesses that we have in our own congregation, and if anybody's listening to this uh, from the internet, uh, I'm sure in your church and other churches around the world, many churches even in New Zealand, have have huge issues with what we're going to talk about today, which is using our spiritual gifts. Many Christians don't know what their spiritual gifts are or gift, and even those who might know what they are often don't use them, which is why there's so many one, I should say one of the reasons why there's so many unhealthy churches today, which is one reason why we are struggling today. Have you ever heard this saying here? It's on the screen. What you don't know won't hurt you. Any of you heard that? Probably heard that, haven't you? What you don't know won't hurt you. Well, it, it, is that a true statement? Well, it, it's true in some cases. But not when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts, okay? When it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts, what you don't know will hurt you and it hurts all of us. Okay? No man, in this case, no man or woman is an island. You, you do affect other people in the congregation when it comes to your spiritual gifts. And I want you to notice that it's interesting when, when we look at the subject of spiritual gifts. First Corinthians talks a lot about this. We'll get there in a moment. But the very first verse in the chapter that starts talking about spiritual gifts, look what it says. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So as you can see, even the author of this inspired book of Corinthians knows that what you don't know will hurt you and others. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. The Holy Spirit wants us to know. And the Holy Spirit is telling us that what we don't know about the spiritual gifts is going to hurt us. And I mean all of us. Ignorance about spiritual gifts is harmful to our church as a whole. And it's harmful to you as an individual. I'd like for us to examine uh, a few passages, in fact, that clearly and thoroughly explains the nature and the purpose of the spiritual gifts. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dig into each one of the spiritual gifts. We already did that a long time ago. If you want to know about that, I'm happy to talk to you about that later. So what, what is it? What are we talking about here? Well, that's hopefully you've already turned to Ephesians four. Uh, let's look at Ephesians four. What are we talking about here? Ephesians 4 is going to be very helpful And before we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians 4. Let's, uh, let's start reading in verse 7. Ephesians 4 verse 7. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says... When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, that is, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a perfect or complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's stop there. That ends the paragraph. We read the whole paragraph. So this passage and, and others we're going to look at it are really going to provide some answers for us when it comes to some important questions that I'm going to raise today. The first question I, that I want to bring up is, well, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? I mean, it, shouldn't that be our first question? How can you use something that you don't even know what it is? <laughs> right? It's kind of hard to use something that you don't know what you're talking about. So what are these spiritual gifts? Well, first of all, that look, look at verse 7, because in verse 7 it, it says that to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. These verses here in verse 8 as well kind of go with it. Say that believers have been given gifts, and notice where the gifts come from. Where do they come from? The gifts come from the Lord. The Greek word translated there, gifts, by the way, is a very common word, but uh, in the context, it's revealing that, here, here's what it is, okay? If you're wondering what a good definition of spiritual gifts is, I forget where I got this from, but here's a good definition. That uh, spiritual gifts are basically the abilities that God has granted to Christians for the edification of others in the body, and by the body, I mean the church, now, that, that whole definition there is loaded, and we'll try to unpack that a little bit as we go along here. But the big picture of the nature of spiritual gifts is, is, is really given for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So for us to understand this definition, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment, so you can turn there. But just think about this, okay? Spiritual gifts, what are they? Their abilities, that's what the definition says, abilities, and notice where they come from. Who grants them? God is the one who grants these abilities to us. And who's the us, by the way? The definition says it's to Christians. So if you're an unbeliever, you do not have spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are only to Christians. And what's the purpose? It says it's for the edification or the building up of God's church. That's the purpose of it. So let's look at the, the, the big picture of the nature of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sadly, we don't have time to go exhaustively in depth into Ephesians and Corinthians and other passages like Romans. So what I, what I want to do is just kind of introduce the big picture of this idea of using spiritual gifts, okay? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. And as we read through here, you, you, you're, you're not probably going to pick up on this, but there's actually uh, five different Greek words that are referring to spiritual gifts. Okay, You try to pick up on them. 
you're not going to see spiritual gifts mentioned five times here. Uh, there's actually different Greek words used here, which is why in the English you're going to see different words. But they're all referring to spiritual gifts, and it's going to help us to understand the nature of these spiritual gifts, which again, sadly, I can't go into depth on every one of those Greek words. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. These are the words of the living God. And he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, he wants us to know about these. Verse 2 says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is, is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The, there are diversities of gifts, <clears throat> but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries. There's the other word, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Uh, verse 9, sorry, verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Again, I, I, can't, I can't go into depth on the various Greek words that are talking about the spiritual gifts. You, you would have seen them in verse, verses 4 through 7. So spiritual gifts, what are they? They're abilities given to us by God only for Christians for the edification of the body of Christ. Again, I, I'm not going to look at those, so we're going to just skip over those Greek words. But let's go to our second question. Who gives spiritual gifts? Who gives spiritual gifts? Well, our con uh, the context here, 1 Corinthians 12, shows us that, of course, it's God the Father. He is the one who has provided our church and you as a Christian with gifts they come through the Holy Spirit as an exhibition, if you will, of His sovereignty and His grace in your life and in our church. And this point is really driven home through the rest of the chapter. For example, if, in case you haven't gotten the point already, look at verse 11. Who is the one doing this work? Look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Look at verse 18. 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. Look at verse 24. 24. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it look at verse 28 and god has appointed these in the church and then it mentions several gifts there so do you get the point <laughs> the subject of those sentences is god the father is the one doing this work 
And then in Ephesians 4, please don't turn there, we already, mentioned, we already read it, but the Bible mentions in Ephesians 4 three times that it's Jesus Christ who is the one who gives gifts to his church. He's the one who does that. See, wait, you, you say, well, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you just said it's God the Father. Yes, it is. <laughs> Remember, Jesus and God the Father are one, okay? And the Holy Spirit's also part of the Trinity. So it's one God in three persons. So they're, they're all involved in the spiritual gift process. And so if you understand here that any ability that you have actually comes from a gracious God and that anything good that you, you happen to accomplish, it, it's not because of you. It's because of God's power working through you. And if you realize that, well then, you're not going to be arrogant. You're going to be humble. It's going to squelch our pride because it's, it's God is the one who gives us the abilities to do what we do. You're also going to be less condescending. You're also going to be less critical toward other people who have different gifts than your own. Sadly, with, with spiritual gifts, one of the, the tendencies is we, we tend to criticize and attack other people in the church who aren't doing what we do. That's our nature. For example, the person with the gift of evangelism looks at everybody else in the congregation who's not out there evangelizing people, saying, what is it with everybody in this congregation? Why is it that I'm the only one that seems to evangelize around here? Right? And then the person with the gift of mercy, they're constantly going to the hospital and doing, doing uh, mercy visiting, or, or people who are sick in home, or taking food to people who are, who are hurting, and, and they're, they're constantly thinking... Why is it that I'm the only one in this church with the gift of mercy who seems to care about people's needs? You know what I'm saying? And, and so we, we all do this. We all have different gifts, and we tend to criticize those who don't have our gift. But if you realize it's God who gives you the gift to start with, you're going to be less condescending and less critical. God is the one who distributes them around. None of us are Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who had everything. You don't have them all. You may only have one, and probably most of us have at least two. So, you're going to remember that God himself is the one who has organized the body. He's in charge. He is sovereign. He's working according to his perfect plan. So who gives the spiritual gifts? God does, and he's the one who enables us to use them. So we shouldn't be proud and arrogant. Our third question we want to look at is, to whom have spiritual gifts been given? Okay, these, are, these, kind of, these questions are coming, coming from this, this definition that I brought up from the beginning. So, so, to whom have spiritual gifts been given? Well, to answer this question, we, Ephesians 4 really answered that question quite well. In Ephesians 4 it says, but unto every one of us is given grace. Every one of us. Now, who, who's the book of Ephesians written to? Because that answers, to whom have spiritual gifts been given? So the answer is that all true believers, of course, Ephesians was written to believers in the church of Ephesus, but all scripture is profitable, and of course, it's written for us as well. So all true believers have received spiritual gifts from God. There's not one Christian in this world who does not have some 
gift or, or ability to serve others in the church. God says everyone. So you can't sit here and say, well, you know, I, I can't serve in the church because God didn't, he, he kind of just passed over me and I didn't get a gift. No. Notice, what does God say? Everyone. You're the everyone. If you're a believer, you're part of the everyone, aren't you? So it doesn't matter if you're old or you're young or whether you're educated or uneducated or if you're rich or you're poor or you're, you're strong or you're weak or you're mature or immature or whatever. Guess what? You have at least one spiritual gift and you may actually have more than one. So many believers don't know what their spiritual gifts are. I mean, it's kind of hard to use it if you don't know what it is, right? Some kind of just use it on default. Or they, they, they see a need in the church, they jump in and find out maybe even years later, oh, well, hey, that was my spiritual gift. <laughs> now please listen carefully to, to this amazing statement that I'm about to make. Okay, are you listening? Are you listening? Hello, class, are you listening? Listen closely. I, I want to make a few statements, go through these statements, make sure we're all clear in the same boat here, all right? Here's the first statement. The fact that every Christian has been given, uh, has been gifted by God means that each member of our church is indispensable in God's plan. Each member of our church is indispensable in God's plan. That, God was quite clear here in Corinthians. He said, whether, whether you're the more presentable part or the, the less honorable part or whatever, you're the more visible or the less visible or whatever, God has, has gifted us and you're indispensable. And, and of course, in Corinthians here, he uses the illustration of the body to prove that point, right? Think of your body. You have parts of your body that you never see. But if a surgeon took that particular part of your body out, you'd miss it, wouldn't you? <laughs> All right? It may not be presentable. It may not be visible. It may not be one of those, those beautiful parts of your body, but you would miss it. It's indispensable. All right? For example, your heart. If the surgeon takes your heart out, you'd miss it. If the surgeon takes your brain out, you may miss it. Well, all of us would miss it. There might be some people out there, you take your brain out, they, they probably wouldn't miss it. Because they, they, don't, they don't seem to have one. But you have one. And you'd miss it. You don't see it, though, do you? But it's important. Your body has many important parts, and they're all working together, okay? And that's the way it is in a church, okay? Sometimes you might do something, and nobody else in the church ever sees it. Or you might think, well, I'm not one of those honorable parts. I'm not the visible thing. You know, my, my gift is, is uh, you know, it's not teaching, so it's not important. No! <laughs> Teaching's not the only important gift. They're all important, okay? All right? Let me make another one. Every gift is important, okay? That's, that's the point I want to make. Every gift is important. Let me give you some examples, okay? Anyone who sews or cooks understands the importance of measuring, right? How many of you cook or sew? Okay, good. All right, so, so I'm, not, I'm not using an illustration that nobody understands. Uh, I, I tend to do that sometimes with sports illustrations, and they go right over people's heads. 
All right, so if you sew or you cook, you're going to understand the importance of measuring. Now, I'm trying to teach, my wife and I are trying to teach my daughter this as we teach her how to cook and bake and these sort of things. She's one of those, those throwers, you know? You ever met a thrower? Some, some chefs and cooks are throwers, you know? They just throw stuff, right? They, they forget the teaspoon and the tablespoon and the cup and all that. Man, we'll just throw stuff in and have fun while we're doing it. And then what do you get? I mean, you get a whole cup of salt and... And, and then you, when it only should have been a little teaspoon or something. Can, can you understand the importance of measuring, right? You don't want to put more salt in some, some recipe than it calls for. Otherwise, it's probably not going to taste good. Or, or maybe it might, might call for two cups of sugar. And, and if you're only putting you know, a little dash of sugar, it's, it's probably not going to taste good. Measuring is important. Or if you're... Or if you're uh, making a dress out of cloth and you're making it, you know, homemade kind of a deal, handmade and a seamstress measures. Usually has a pattern, right? Making it for an individual person. You want to you want to make sure you get all those measurements just right. So so by the time you put that dress on, you you know, you don't want one one sleeve sticking off the arm and the other one's really short or something. Right? The measurements are important. Otherwise, it can look bad. Cakes don't taste good <laughs> if you're not measuring, right? You understand that. That's important. Measuring must take place. Well, fortunately, the Bible says that God has wisely measured the gifts in the church. He knows what He wants to produce in the church, and He knows exactly what the gifts are needed in the church. He knows how to get the job done. He knows better than we do. And so this means that every believer is going to play a part. If you're here, God brought you here. You're not an accident. The gift or the gifts that God has given to you is not an accident. God sovereignly planned it that way. And so it's important that your role is important, in other words. So you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt our church as a whole if you're, if you're not faithfully exercising the gift that God has given to you. So just as a piece of cloth can be destroyed and, and one missing ingredient can ruin a cake, guess what? One ineffective Christian not using their gift can keep a church from functioning according to the biblical pattern. Do you, do you get the illustrations there? I hope you understand. The measurement is important, right? Every gift is important. Let me make another statement. Many gifts are different. <laughs> oh, that's a revelation, isn't it? God said that here in Corinthians. Gifts are different. God's not sitting up in heaven with a cookie cutter, making us all the same. We should not expect every believer to be equally proficient and successful in, in every area of service. Thank God for that. We're not all the same. Some of you are way more gifted at, at other things than I am because God has given you that spiritual gift. You can do better in areas than I could ever possibly do. Right? There was only one man who ever walked the earth who had every spiritual gift, and you're not him. <laughs> right? Jesus Christ is his name, in case you're wondering. But the rest of us, guess what? We've only been, uh, as the Bible says, we've received a measure just a measure. You didn't get the whole thing. 
So gifts are different. Statement number four is that not all Christians have the same giftedness. Not all Christians have the same giftedness. Now please understand, this is no excuse for any of us to neglect our biblical responsibilities that, that is given to us. We shouldn't say, well, I'm, see, I'm just not gifted in that area. We use that as an excuse for apathy too much. We say, well, I'm not going to do that. I, I see a need. I'm just not going to do that because I'm not gifted. No, don't do that. Every Christian, by the way, is commanded to be involved in prayer. You don't have to have the spiritual gift of prayer. <laughs> not every, uh, you know, every Christian is also commanded to give, to, to love, to uh, confront evil, to, to evangelize, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There's certainly many more commands in the Bible. Okay? You don't need to have that spiritual gift to obey God in those commands. Let me put it this way to you. Each of us, while each of us is commanded to be a general practitioner, each of us is also required to be a specialist in some area. Just like they're specialist doctors, they have their, their special fields that they work in. Guess what? Every one of you is, should be a specialist when it comes to spiritual gifts. You should spend the most time, the most energy in those particular areas in which you have the greatest giftedness. Okay? It doesn't make sense for a GP to go and do neurosurgery, for example. A neurosurgeon should do his special field, right? I'm thankful when I have my surgery in 10 days that a neurosurgeon is going to be operating on my spinal cord. I don't want a GP doing that. I want the specialist who has a lot of experience with that particular field. Now, my pastor friends jokingly tell me, hey, you know, my, I've got my knife sharpened for you. I can help you out anytime. No, please. I don't want that. I want the specialist. God has specialized us in various fields. And so while you are faithfully serving God in the church, or you should be, you should Spend the most time and the most energy with that gift in that area. It doesn't excuse you from other areas. And so you need to be careful not to expect other believers to be as successful as you are with the gift that God has given to you. Let me give you an example, okay? Some Christians, for example, uh, are so gifted with, with witnessing for Jesus Christ in, in the, with the gift of evangelism, it seems that it just kind of comes naturally to them. They're not afraid to talk to people. Uh, you know, they're very smooth, relaxed, love talking to strangers, uh, easily talk about Jesus, what Jesus has done for them. They know the Bible, and, and it seems like the Holy Spirit just gives them the words every time they talk to someone. So they, re- they regularly see people converted to Christ person with a gift of evangelism is often going to see people converted to Christ. But guess what? They shouldn't look down on other people in the congregation just because uh, other people in the congregation don't have the gift of evangelism. Let me give you another statement. Not all Christians with the same giftedness have the same amount of giftedness in that area. Okay, so even within the gifts... God is going to gift people differently. For example, among 
those gifted with mercy, for example, some are going to be more gifted than others. Some people, you know, they're, they're going to love going to the hospital and visiting people in the hospital, for example. And they're going to be really good at it. And every time they walk out of the room, the person's uplifted and encouraged because they have that gift of mercy. And it's the same, you know, it's true with all the other gifts. By the way, this may be especially important to remember when you're evaluating leaders and teachers in the church. Okay? I'm not as gifted as other teachers of the Word. Okay? That's just reality. Uh, You need to be aware of that. If you're not, sometimes that can lead to discontentment because I'm not as gifted as other people. God has gifted other people better preachers and teachers than I am. So don't compare me with other pastors, for example, who are more gifted. Instead, what, what do we do? We thank God for what God has given to our church. Question number four, what are spiritual gifts, why, or sorry, why are spiritual gifts given? Why? Again, in Ephesians 4, Paul goes on to discuss the purpose of spiritual gifts. He's talking about the church here, of course, the wonderful results that occur as they're utilized, as they should be utilized. So let's think about the purpose of using our gifts, all right? Ephesians 4 here, it says that he, God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the first one we see here is that leaders are to use their gifts to equip the saints. And again, I'll remind you, saints are not not old dead people. Saints are not fat little babies with wings flying around in a cloud playing a harp. Okay, that's not a saint. A saint is just simply a Christian, according to the Bible. And so it says here that leader, the leader's job is not to do the work of the ministry all by themselves. <laughs> uh, too many Christians say, hey, that's what we pay the pastor to do. No. God says you pay the pastor to teach you how to do the work. You understand? That's what God says. And by the way, the Greek verb translated equip there can also be translated to mend, to prepare, and restore. It has the idea of filling in what's lacking, making something ready, or renewing something to usefulness. God has given to the church pastor teachers to fill what's lacking, to make something ready to do its job, to fulfill its purpose, to make it useful. Let me give you an illustration here, okay? Uh, I kind of view myself as a coach or a, phys- or a physician of a, maybe of like a, a rugby team, for example. I'm, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to mend and prepare and restore players. You're the players of the rugby team, so to speak. And what, what, is, what is the coach doing? Coach doesn't go out in the field and play the game all by himself. Coaches don't play the game most of the time. They're preparing the team to do battle, right? To play the game. They're the ones that are getting on the field and doing the work. And there's a lot of preparation that goes into playing a rugby game. And there's also a lot of mending that's going to take place during and after the game too, right? <laughs> a lot of times those, those guys get hurt in the process of playing. Well, guess what? You're going to get hurt in the process of living the Christian life. 
the pastor's job is to help in the mending, to help you be ready to fulfill the purpose that God has given to you. A lot of restoring that's going to take place sometimes. A lot of mending. A lot of preparation. So it's, a, it's the same, same thing in the Christian life. So the gifts that leaders have received should be to, to teach, to model, to counsel, to uh, sadly sometimes confront and otherwise develop the serving abilities of the members of the church. Number two, we see in Ephesians 4 that members are to use their gifts to do the work of service. That's why God has gifted you, to do the work of service. There's a diff- By the way, there's a difference between the leader's role and the member's role. And, and I want to make sure I'm clear here. By members, I'm referring to all of you. And so if this role difference is ignored, it's, it's going to be detrimental to our church. We need to understand there's a leader's role and a member's role. Just as the Bible shows us there's a man's role and a woman's role. There's a husband's role and a wife's role. Different roles that we play. Just as God the Father has a different role to God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has a different role to God the Son and God the Father. They have different roles to play. So God's given us different roles in the church. Unfortunately, many church members assume that they're the ones paying the pastor and, and you know, he's going to do all the ministries of the church all by himself or, or you know, mostly by himself. He's the one who's going to do all the evangelism. The pastor's going to do all the counseling. The pastor's going to do all the visiting. He's the one going to do all the confronting and the disciplining and all the planning, all the preaching, all the teaching. He's going to do everything. How healthy is that church? It's not. <laughs> it's not healthy. God has not designed the church to work that way. Most of the ministry of the church are to be carried out by you, not by me. So this approach to ministry comes from the biblical doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, which is one of the Baptist distinctives. One of the reasons I'm a Baptist is because the Bible teaches the priesthood of the believer. You say, where's that in the Bible? Look at 1 Peter on the screen here. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also as living stones are built up, or, or are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So as a member of the body of Christ, that, that is if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ, the Bible says you are a priest. You are a priest before God and you are to be a minister. Okay, there, In God's eyes, there's, this, there's not this huge division between you know, the, the clergy and the so-called laity. Okay? In God's eyes, that doesn't exist. Okay? We're all on the same level, if you will. So I'm here to help you to be effective in your service. And another point that needs to be made here is that it is God it, 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 that it is that God wants every Christian to do the work of ministry and to do it every day of the week, not just Sunday, 24/7. You're to be doing the work of the ministry every day of the week, 24 hours out of the day. Hebrews 3:13 says, "But exhort every, uh, but exhort one another." daily okay exhortation is 
a spiritual gift. That's one example. So you should always be asking yourself these two questions as you think about the purpose of spiritual gifts. Number one, here's the first question you want to ask. How can I be served and challenged by the other members of the church? We all ought to be exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and building each other up. How can you do that for others? And how can you be a good listener and one to encourage others to come to you and be open for that? Number two, who in the church and outside of it can benefit from my abilities and resources? Okay. Uh, some, sometimes you're not just going to use those spiritual gifts for yourself and, and the people in our congregation. Sometimes you use it for other congregations. Okay? Some of you uh, probably have the gift of giving. Okay? In the past, we've had people with the gift of giving, and that's why I've been able to go to the Solomon Islands, for example, because people with the gift of giving have, have given me the ability to go to the Solomon Islands to use my gift to train the people in the Solomon Islands so that the gospel won't be lost in this generation. Okay? Do you see how there's a connection there? Okay? They're they're not a part of our congregation, are they? But I'm I'm able to use the gift that God has given to me outside our church. All right, let's think about the results of using our gifts. There's three positive results mentioned in Ephesians 4. Okay? If you're uh, if you're not there, you please turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. Three positive results I want to look at coming from Ephesians 4, verses 13 through 16. The first result is this, that our churches will become unified and loving. I praise God we have a you know, pretty good spirit of unity at the moment, but it could even be better. We could be loving one another even more than we are now. It could be better. I hope it will get better. <laughs> All right? as we grow more conformed to the image of Christ. Now look at verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this result is coming from the first part of verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. That's one of the results, positive results, of using our spiritual gifts. Paul says that spiritual gifts should operate until we all come here to the unity of the faith. Well, many churches experience disunity. Why is that? Well, it might be gossip. It might be slander. uh, you, You sum it up to sin. Sin's the reason for that. And so many churches experience disunity. Sometimes even church splits happen. One of the reasons is because the spiritual gifts are not practiced in the midst of that church in a biblical manner. Those of you who are not involved in the ministry of this church, sadly, I have to say, it's, it's those of you who aren't using your spiritual gift are the ones who end up becoming the most critical I've seen it in the past, okay? The ones who are the most critical are the ones who have huge sins in their life and are the ones who are the most destructive. And these people who aren't using their gifts become very critical and ends up leading, leading to conflict and division. Please don't be one of those people. But when we're serving each other, 
we're serving in the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's, we have a dependence upon one another. We have a gratefulness for one another, and we recognize we don't have it all together either. <laughs> if you have the perspective, as I do, that you're the greatest sinner you know, guess what? You're going to be gracious and merciful to other people. You're not going to be critical. Second result of using our gifts is our church will become mature and wise. We become mature and wise. Again, look at verse 13. Because it talks about, after the unity section there, it's of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. May grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We see here that, that Satan in this world around us is going to uh, bombard churches and Christians with false doctrine, worldly philosophies. Unfortunately, many churches seem to uh, uh, be undiscerning and be gullible. And they adopt new ideas. Every new idea that comes down the pipe, they seem to accept it. <laughs> Very gullible. But when we understand and we're practicing our spiritual gifts, the Bible says there's a, a level of maturity. There's a, we have a level of discernment. We can, we can discern whether you know, something we see is good or whether it's bad. It gives us a barrier, if you will. Result number three is that our church will become effective and successful. Our church will become effective and successful. The end of verse 15 says, We're going to grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Well, guess what? What is Ephesians saying here? That when we're using our spiritual gifts, Christ causes the growth of our church for the building of itself in love. <laughs> so when the members of our church fulfill those unique roles that God has given to you, what's going to happen? What's the result? The church is going to grow. By the way, that doesn't necessarily mean numerical growth. Often it does. It should, hopefully. But certainly each one of us will be growing. Individually, as we're using those gifts amongst ourselves, we will be edifying one another, building each other up. So it's going to grow in quality and in quantity, usually. So I ask you, are you doing your part in building up our church? Or are you squandering your spiritual giftedness and hindering our church from growth. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said in, uh, in the book Spurgeon at His Best. I quote, I do believe it is before every Christian either to serve his God with all his heart or to fall into sin. I believe we must either go forward or we must fall. The rule is in, Christ the rule is in Christian life. If we do not bring forth fruit unto the Lord our God, we shall lose even our leaves and stand like a winter's tree, bare and withered. End quote. 
I guess you could put it this way. Use it or lose it. Right? Use it or lose it. But by this point, I hope you're asking another question here. The fifth question is this. How can we discover our spiritual gifts? How can we discover our spiritual gifts? Now, at this point, I'm going, uh, I'm going to give you a paper. Okay? It's got all these points and a little bit more information on it. Now, what I want you to do is, I'm, this is your homework for this week. Okay? Your homework for this week is go home, pray, and ask the one who knows to give you wisdom, to reveal your spiritual gift to you, and how you can use it within this body. Okay, that's your homework. All right, but here's some points to think about. Number one, how can we discover our spiritual gifts? This should be obvious, but sometimes we need to go over the the simple, obvious things. Here's the first point. Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Don't don't go to the bookstore and, and say, hey, I need a book on spiritual gifts. Do you have one? No, that's not where you should start. <laughs> okay, That can be helpful, but start with the Bible. There are several passages in the Bible, particularly, of course, the New Testament, discusses spiritual gifts, goes into depth. We read about one of those today from Romans chapter 12, but that's not the only place I suggest. Go also to 1 Corinthians 12. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and then there's several others you could look at as well. And then after you've, you've read those, you've meditated upon them, you've looked up some of the words to gain what the words actually mean. Maybe you've used a, a lexicon or a concordance, a Bible dictionary or something like that. Then I suggest maybe going to a commentary, a good conservative commentary. And if you don't have one, I'll be happy to share mine with you. There's nothing that I want more than for you to know God's truth and to use to use that truth for the edification of this body. So study the Bible. Number two, pray. As you study the Bible, pray. God says he will give you wisdom when you ask. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's will is for you to not be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.1 said that. He wants you to know the spiritual gifts and to use them. That's God's will for your life. So asking for wisdom in determining our giftedness is a request that is according to His revealed will. So as long as there's no sin in your life, you can expect God to answer that. Number three, examine your motives. Examine your motives, okay? Why do you want to know what your spiritual gift is? Jesus said in John 7, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So if your motive is, is that maybe you want, uh, you, know, you want other people to look at you and to admire you and pat you on the back and give you all kinds of good compliments... For using that spiritual gift, guess what? That's the wrong motive. Or if you have some other selfish motive, guess what? Wrong motive. What's the motive? Well, it should be for God's glory, right? Number four, evaluate your abilities. Now, you might have a hard time doing this. I don't know. I, I Frankly, I have a hard time evaluating my abilities. So that's 
That's why I evaluate, um, I, I use other people to help evaluate. But in the context of the spiritual gifts, in Romans 12, verse 3, it says that we should exercise sound judgment regarding the allotment of grace that has been given to each one of us. Now, a helpful way to do this is, uh, if any of you still have a piece of paper, <laughs> take a piece of paper. I see some of you taking notes. That's good. Um, in this computer age, some of you may not even have a piece of paper, but if you can find one, take a piece of paper or use your computer. Uh, make a list. Here's what I suggest. All right, This isn't original with me. Your list can include the can-dos, the have-dones, the doing-betters, and the want-to-dos. All right, let me explain those. All right, the list, number one, can include the can-dos. These are ways that you know that you are able to serve. You, you've done this before. You have experience in some area. Okay, you, you, you've done it. You've been there. You know, you've ticked the box, so to speak, right? You know it. You, you can do that. But then there's the have-dones. These are ways that God has... Uh, used you already in the church. There's the doing better area, areas of service in which you're improving in. You, you know that you have, uh, you, you might be able to do it. You think you can do it. You're not as good as other people, and you're hoping to get better. All right, but then there's also the want to do ministries you'd like to be involved in, but uh, maybe you're, I don't know, you're making excuses or something. So evaluate your abilities. You do that for yourself. But then, after you're done doing that, ask other people. Other people can often see things you can't. The Bible repeatedly affirms the importance of receiving godly counsel. Let me give you a few verses. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. By the way, be, be wary of going to unbelievers. How much do you expect an unbeliever to know about spiritual gifts when they don't have any of themselves? <laughs> That's probably not a wise choice. Uh, Proverbs 15.22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. So when it is possible, go to a godly person, a mature godly Christian, and, and uh, ask them. Hopefully it's someone you know well. I highly recommend it's someone you know well. I mean, how can they really evaluate you and give you some good counsel if they don't know you well? But maybe you don't know someone like that well, all right? I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, I don't know how, what, how much I can help, but I'd certainly be helpful, ho hopefully helpful by God's grace. But uh, you need objective answers. It's really hard for us to get objective answers when we evaluate ourselves, all right? Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Okay, My heart deceives myself into looking at myself more highly than I ought to think of myself. Right? And so do you. Number six, take opportunities to serve. Take opportunities to serve. Experience is often the best teacher, isn't it? You shouldn't only enter into those specialized areas, but... Uh, Try other areas, okay? You never know. You might, you might be gifted in other areas as well. How do you know if you've never tried it? By the way, if you, if you do not see any warning flags during the steps of preparation, then often your experience is going to serve you well. Okay? 
Unfortunately, as we, we end, we need to think about something. Unfortunately, many churches, including ours, are filled with people who approach the Christian life, the church life, as if they're at a rugby game. Okay? Uh, I'm sure I'm talking about some of you, okay? So please don't point your finger at somebody else. Point the finger at yourself. Do you approach the church life as a rugby game? You know what I mean? You know, you got you got thousands of people sit, sitting in the stands who are just spectators. They're observing what's going on in the field. They're content to let the, sometimes people in the congregation are content to let leaders and some other members do all the work while they themselves, they're just kind of sitting back and, and maybe cheering and uh, too often criticizing and simply passing the time. What does the Bible say? The Bible makes it quite clear that life in the church is not a spectator sport. Sadly, statistics show us, though, I, I heard one time that you got 10% of the people in the congregation to do 90% of the work. shouldn't be that way. We've been given spiritual gifts to use in service for others, and only by doing so will we work as a winning team. You ever played on a team where there was a, a shirker, a lazy person? You ever been on one of those teams? I don't know about you. I'm not one of those kind of players, okay? I, I was one of these 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 people. I, I love sports. In fact, I loved it too much. Um, I really worshipped myself in the process. I'll admit it to my shame. Uh, my, I became my own idol, and I used sports to bow down and worship my own idol. All right? I love sports. Still do. But, um, but in the process... Uh, the reality is there was just some sometimes there would be guys on my team who just didn't want to work as hard as I wanted them to work. And because of that, you know, you you if you're playing basketball, you didn't want to pass the ball to that guy. You know, he didn't work hard in practice and it showed when it came to game time. Or if you're playing soccer, you know, I didn't want to pass the ball to that guy because you know, I knew if I passed to him, the other team would end up getting the ball. <laughs> didn't that frustrate you? You don't, you don't want to be on a team with those kind of players. Sadly, it's that way sometimes in congregations. Oftentimes, it's that way in congregations. You've got lazy people who just want to sit around and, and be the spectator. We've all been given spiritual gifts to use in the service of others. Are we using them? God the Father has designed us all to be key players in His game plan, if you will. So every Christian needs to think of themselves, including you, you need to think of yourself as a full-time minister. Okay, Some of us are going to get paid to be full-time ministers, but we're all full-time ministers, okay? Every one of us. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. Right? No such thing as a part-time Christian. We're all full-time ministers. We just have different functions and different roles to play in that full-time ministry. Well, God has given us gifts. I hope, I hope this message is not discouraging. I hope it's encouraging to you to know that, that if you're a Christian, you have at least one gift. God has given it to you, and, and you can be a blessing to others. And as hopefully as other people are blessing you, you'll be encouraged to continue to use that gift to be a blessing to other people. And it's a wonderful thing to be a part of a church when everybody's blessing one another and the blessings are just bubbling over and everybody's out of, not out of control, but, but you know what I'm saying? The, the, the blessings are so abundant, it's exciting. 
when it's that way. Don't you want our church to be that way? I do. I'm praying for that. We're not there yet. But may God help us to be a church blessing one another, using the spiritual gifts for God's glory, by the way, not yours, for God's glory. So hopefully the world will see us and God will be glorified as they see us using our spiritual gifts. Let's pray.